Do you know yourself? Do you, do you say, I am the beloved of God? I am my beloved's. And he is mine. That's God singing over you. My beloved. Do you know that you are the beloved of God? Do you feel that? Is that the wonder of your life? What does it mean to be loved by God like that? That's the question that John Piper answers from Romans 1, 6, and 7 in this episode of Light and Truth. This sermon was originally preached at Bethlehem Baptist Church on May 24, 1998. Last week we focused on the phrase in verse 6, the called of Jesus Christ. And I said a few things. Let me sum it up. Try to bring us into the flow here. I said it's God's call to people bringing them into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I said and argued from texts that it is not merely an invitation to come, but it is a powerful, divine, supernatural word by which God creates what he commands. And I ended the message with 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. And I think it would be good for us to go there in our Bibles, if you would like to. Would you turn, that's just two books over, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So if you've got Romans, you can find 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. Verses 4 through 6. These verses are for me some of the most important verses for understanding the nature of conversion and who I am and how I became a Christian. Of all the verses in the Bible, these are very near the top of helping me understand who I am and how I got to be here as a Christian. And I want you to know who you are and how you got to be where you are. And I want God to get the glory for it. And therefore, I want you to see how God did it. In these verses, these verses are a description, I believe, of the call of God upon his people. In verse four of Second Corinthians four, you see the reason why so few people do not. Or so many people do not see the truth of God in Christ. Let's read it. The God of this world, namely Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you have a, a conspiracy here. Native, human, corrupt unbelief on the one side conspires with the devil on the other side, to blind fully the human heart from seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel. And if you don't see the glory of Christ in the gospel, you won't believe Christ. We put our faith in what we believe to be true and beautiful and trustworthy and glorious. We don't put our faith in what we believe to be foolishness and stupid and weird and irrelevant and a stumbling block. 
So as long as people are blind to the glory, they'll never believe. Which leaves us at the end of verse 4, very desperate. Who then will be saved? And these next two verses, I argued, describe two things, two kinds of ministry that has to happen in order for anybody to be converted to Christ and saved. Verse 5 says, we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That's the first thing that has to happen. There has to be a word spoken and a life lived. Unbelievers need to hear the gospel articulated by a preacher or on a piece of paper or over radio. And they have to see some living out of the reality of servant life that Christ creates in the heart. So we preached and we gave ourselves as servants for your sake. However, the Apostle Paul is painfully aware and you are painfully aware. Three of you came up to me at the end of the service last week and said that that day or that week, you would be going to talk to a brother or an uncle or I forget the other relation who are hard as nails as far as you can tell and have been witnessed to and loved and shown Christ for years and they don't believe. So verse 6 is the word of, of hope in this desperate and helpless situation that we've all known. We've known it about ourselves, some of us, and we've known it about others. Verse 6 in 2 Corinthians 4 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Now that's a reference back to Genesis 1, where God spoke to the absence of light. Absence of light? Let there be light. And out of Absence of light came light. That's the God he's talking about. That's the image he wants us to have in our mind. A creator God who speaks into nothing something by the power of his word. The word creates what it commands. And he says, for the God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see the parallel with verse 4? In verse 4 he says that the God of this world is blinding us so that we can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And now he says, but God can overcome that blindness. He can overcome that resistance. He can overcome that unbelief. He can soften that hardness. He can raise the dead. If he just says, let there be light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, let it be. And suddenly, 
The gospel and the Christ of the gospel is no longer stupid. It's no longer irrelevant. It's no longer a stumbling block. It's no longer foolish. It's no longer weird spiritual mumbo jumbo. It is now life, beauty, power, wisdom, hope, treasure, glory, joy, all I've ever looked for and all I've ever needed, I see it. That's how you got saved, if you're saved. It's good to know how we got to be where we are. Verse 7, these Christians, he says, whom he called in verse 6, the called of Jesus Christ. He has spoken into their hearts with his sovereign word. He has wakened them from the sleep of unbelief. He has blinded or overcome the blindness of Satan. He has removed the hardness of heart. He has raised the spiritually dead, just like he did for Lazarus. How many words did it take to get Lazarus out of the grave? Three. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man for four days lived. And the only thing that made him live was, Lazarus, come forth. That's the word of God. That's not John Piper. That's the word of God. I can issue a call for conversion. Only God can issue a converting call. And he did it for these Roman Christians. And for every Christian in this room, in this room, he did it for you. That's how you got to be where you are. Whether you know it or not, that's how you got there. Lazarus, come forth. We are the called of Jesus Christ. We live, it says here, among the Gentiles, but we belong now through this sovereign call to Jesus. We don't belong to Jesus the way we belong to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or a labor union or the Minneapolis Club. We belong to Jesus by virtue of a sovereign, omnipotent, creative word of God that brought into being what it called for. And so our belonging to Jesus is unlike our belonging to anything else. It is rooted in the call of God Almighty. Now what I want to do this morning in the rest of this text and the rest of this sermon is to deepen and God willing, sweeten your experience of the call of God by showing you that it came from the love of God for you in particular. And that that call of God ushers you into a realm of the love of God that is unlike any other experience that those have who have not received the love of God. That's what I want you to taste. So let's read verse 7 here. To all who are beloved of God, we're in Romans 1 now, not 2 Corinthians 4. 
Romans 1, 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, call as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all who are called and to all who are loved of God, O Christian, know yourself this way this morning. Know yourself this way. That you are called of Jesus Christ and loved of God. Do you know yourself? Do you, do you say, I am the beloved of God? I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's God singing over you, my beloved. Do you know that you are the beloved of God. Do you feel that? Is that the wonder of your life? Do you go to bed and feed on that? And do you wake up and drink from that fountain? I am the beloved of God Almighty. And if not, listen. Listen and receive. What does it mean? I want to enlarge your understanding. I don't want to shrink your understanding of the love of God this morning. But it seems to me that for many people, the only way that they have ever conceived of the love of God for them is the same way that they conceive of the love of God for everybody in the world. Which means they've never tasted the covenant love of God. If you only know yourself loved the way everybody is loved, you do not know the covenant love of God. And that's the love that we're to feed on. That's the love that we're to drink. That's the love that is our strength, that is our hope, that is the rock-solid assurance that will make it to glory and not go to hell. It seems to me that in America, both in broad Christian circles, Catholic, Protestant, as well as evangelicals, Circles. The love of God is a light thing. It rests lightly upon the church. Because we have learned only to think of it in terms of the same way it is offered to everybody in the world. So we compute, let's see, am I loved by God? Well, the Bible says he loves Everybody, I'm among everybody, so I guess he must love me. And if that's all you know of the love of God, you're going to starve and may not even be a Christian. Now, it is true that God loves the world. Let me give you a couple of texts to drive this Home before I add to it the most precious thing in all the world for Christians. Matthew 5.44 
Love your enemies. Christians, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Love your enemies because God loves His enemies. Evidence, the sun came up on Minneapolis this morning. doesn't matter that there's cloud cover. The sun came up on Minneapolis this morning on tens of thousands, yea, hundreds of thousands of God-ignoring people. That's love. I tell you, that's love. Tornadoes should have come and ripped through this city. Earthquakes could and should have come and opened up and swallowed House after house after house after house in judgment. That's what should have happened in Minneapolis this morning. Disease should have run rampant through Minneapolis this morning, taking thousands of people into a Christless eternity for their godless rebellion against the gospel and against Jesus and their utter indifference to the sweetness of God's tender mercies offered them every day in sun and rain. And they could care less. God loves this city. It's breathing. Another text to prove that God loves the world is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Which means very powerfully, very clearly, that you can approach anybody at work or on the street or in your neighborhood and say, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for sinners so that whoever, including you, believes would have eternal life. If you would believe, the son of God would impart life to you. By virtue of his death on behalf of everyone who believes. So this, the God of love is a God who loves the world in at least these two ways, perhaps more than these two, but at least these two ways. But you know what? If you only know in your experience with God, a being loved with that kind of love, you are not a Christian. Now, I'm sure that to many of you, that sounds absolutely confusing. You do not know what I'm talking about, which is a documentation on how light and how shallow is most contemporary Christian teaching on the love of God. And why I'm lingering on this one phrase for a whole message. In Romans 1.7, look at it. It says, I'm writing to all who are beloved of God in Rome. Doesn't this sound like 
Among all the people who are in Rome, I'm writing to the ones God loves. Isn't that what it sounds like? Of all the people who live in Rome, I'm writing to the beloved of God. It doesn't sound to me like he's saying, what I really want you all to think when I write to you is, I love everybody in Rome. And you now, are you a citizen of Rome? Yes, I'm a citizen of Rome. Well, then I too must be included in this love for everybody in Rome. That's not what verse 7 is saying. If I write a letter to my wife and I say, my beloved Noel, I love you and may grace be multiplied to you and may God make you strong. Nobody, nobody reading that love letter would say, well, let me think. John loves all people because he's a Christian and Christians are commanded to love all people. Noel is a person. Therefore, that's why he calls her beloved. Nobody would read that letter like that. My beloved Noel, meaning you're among humanity and I love humanity, therefore you're loved. Nobody would read it like that. So why would we read verse 7? I'm writing to the beloved of God. It's not what he means. He does not mean God loves the world. You're in the world, therefore he loves you. Don't miss this. Paul does not want you to miss this. I'm lingering over this because I've read the rest of the book. I know Romans 8 and I know what Romans 8 says about this phrase. And we'll get to Romans 8 before we're done to shed more light on it. But Paul does not want you, Christian, to miss this. He doesn't want unbelievers in this room to miss this. Namely, that he is writing, notice the phrase, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. And he doesn't mean everybody in Rome. He means the beloved of God to all the beloved of God in Rome. And that doesn't include everybody in Rome. He's writing to the called of God, the called of Jesus Christ, who are beloved of God. Not everybody in Rome is called of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the church. He's writing to his bride, his wife. This is Light and Truth. God-centered preaching to help you see Christ clearly and treasure Him truly. I'm your host, Dan Kruver. Thank you for listening. On our next episode, John Piper will preach a sermon titled, Love That Leads to Fear, the 10th sermon in our 12-part series, The Gospel of God. I hope you'll join us. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.